0: I'd like to begin this morning with a thought experiment. We here are at Straight Gate Church. We're gathered together for a morning service as we are now. And you notice someone come in from the back. It's a person who clearly is impoverished, it may be a person off the street or indeed living on the street. They are very shabbily attired. They have seemingly nothing to their name. And you notice that as they walk out of the church, they stop at our offering boxes right in the back. And they drop in two coins. And you notice that as they pull out of their pocket the two coins, their pocket is empty. There's nothing else that they have. And someone else has been watching that and, and they say, you know what's amazing about that? I, I know that person, I talked to them on the way in. That was the, those were the last two coins they possessed. They have no bank account, they have no piggy bank at home, they have no wallet, they have no cash reserves what they just put into the offering box back there are the last two coins they have. They now have nothing. How would you react? You know nothing else other than that. They gave their last two coins in that offering box. No, seriously, how would you feel? How would you feel if that person came into church in that morning and said, I have to ask you a question. I need your advice. I have two coins left. Two dollar coins. Should I give them in the offering box? I have nothing left. I have nothing for lunch. I have nothing for dinner. Should I give them? What would you say? I know what I would probably say. Oh, you don't need to do that. No, no, God is providing for our needs here, brother or sister at Straight Gate Church. You don't need to give the last. I mean, wouldn't part of you, if that person walked out onto the street with nothing, you knew they were walking out with not a single penny to their name, part of you would feel sad? Why did you do that? did Did you need to do that? Now, I start there because, frankly, I have just told you the story of the widow's gift that Calvin Todd read for us this morning. That's basically the story. A widow is in the temple court of the women. We'll talk a little bit more about that. She walks up to one of the offering boxes that is there, and she drops in two small coins, here, in our King James Version, it's translated mites. That's only simply alluding to mites, which were a currency in the King James Bible. There was no coin in, the old, in Jesus' day called a mite. The word here in the Greek is leptone, leptone. It is a singular coin. She had two of them. That was the smallest currency at the time. Two of them. Jesus sees rich people going, thank you, Ben, into the offering plates and passing, the, and passing large amounts of money into the offering boxes. And now a widow comes, and she takes these two little pieces and drops them in. I want to tell you something today, friend. This passage, almost universally by commentators, has been taken as Jesus' praise of this widow and really a command to us. Give like her. But I want to stop for a minute and ask us, are we on solid ground biblically to read it like that? Are we to take Jesus' words here as unambiguously praising the widow? Or do we need to read this passage a little more carefully to understand perhaps, what it's actually saying. I'm going to suggest it's the latter. I'm going to to suggest that if we're really reading Jesus' words carefully, we'll stop ourselves from the tendency to go beyond what Jesus says, to stop at what Jesus actually tells us, at what the passage actually supports, to ensure that we aren't part of a problem that we see all across our society even today. Well, the title of the message this morning is Lessons from a Widow's Gift. Lessons from a Widow's Gift. And maybe this morning, I won't draw exactly the lessons you have heard preached from this passage before, but I do want you to ask whether the lessons that we are drawing together from this, from this passage this morning are actually the ones that are supported by the passage, by the inspired word of God. We're going to break this into three portions today. First, we're going to talk about an observation that Jesus made. Simply an observation. Secondly, we're going to look at an interpretation. How do we understand this passage for ourselves? And then third and finally, we'll look at application. What lessons can we glean from this? Observation, interpretation, application. Now let's start with observation, shall we? And if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to have it open with us so we can look at the text together. Maybe that's on your phone or on a tablet you have it. Maybe it's in a hard copy. I do encourage you to take a look if you are able so we can understand truly what this text is saying and what it isn't saying. And if you'll notice with me in verse 41, it says, and Jesus sat over against the treasury. Now we've been working our way through Mark chapter 12, through the whole gospel of Mark together, and we have been focused now on Jesus entering Jerusalem a week before he dies. And we are now tracking Jesus in the last week of his earthly life, the last week before the cross. And we see him, we've already seen him come into the temple the large court of the Gentiles that even Gentile people could come into. And he clears out the temple. He drives out the money changers. He drives out the animals. And he is condemning the religious system of his day that was really robbing people blind. He said, this house, my father's house, my house, is to be a house of prayer. But you speaking to the Jewish religious leaders, you have made it a den of thieves. You've you've made it a place to rob poor people and worshipers blind. He's already cleared out the court of the Gentiles. Then we saw over the last several weeks that the religious leaders are now putting him on a kind of trial. They are trying to condemn him, to show him that, to show the people that he can't be the real Messiah. He doesn't know his Old Testament well enough. He doesn't know theology well enough. He doesn't know doctrine well enough. And Jesus is just swatting away the objections one after another. And ultimately, they find themselves on trial. Because as we looked at last week, Jesus turns his searching spotlight to them, and he illuminates for everyone all their dirt. The dirt all over their carpet. Listen to what he says. In verse 38, he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, these religious leaders, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations or greetings, respectful greetings, you you great one, you teacher, you rabbi. Oh, they loved that when people called them that. They loved the chief seats in the synagogues to be sitting up in front of everyone and to be seen in a very prominent place. And they loved the uppermost rooms at feasts, in the social wedding feasts of the day. They loved to be at the head table, to be recognized. Notice then he says, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers for a show. They're hypocrites. These shall receive greater damnation. So now Jesus is in the temple. And now we see in verse 41, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. Now what's going on here? Well, historians and commentators tell us that Jesus was now in the court of the women. The court of the women. Now you need to understand something a little bit about the temple. Imagine with your mind's eye, just this massive courtyard structure. This is the the entire temple, filled with beautiful colonnades, pillars going up high into the sky. Just this amazing structure, beautiful building, one of the marvels of the ancient world. And this massive courtyard in this building, open to the air, has a court of the Gentiles. That's, again, what Jesus drove the money changers and the animals out of. Anyone could go into the court of the Gentiles. It was the open public courtyard. But then in the middle of that courtyard, there's a smaller courtyard. That's really the temple proper. And there were signs that would say, Gentiles not allowed past here. Gentiles could not go into the temple proper. But you would go up these stairs, a a, a staircase if you were a Jewish man or woman, and enter into what is called the Court of the Gentiles. And in this place, it's said by, by historians that it would be about 200 feet by 200 feet square. Now, I don't know exactly how big this sanctuary is, I would guess not approaching 200 feet by 200 feet, but you could imagine an open-air courtyard, maybe twice this size, something like that, and that would be similar, at least similar, to what the court of the women would be. Now, why was it called the court of the women? Because women would not typically be allowed beyond that point. This was the place where all of Jewish men and women could go. But then beyond that, there would be a court that would not be allowed for the women to come in. So this was called the Court of the Women because the women could go here. And in this place, it said, there were 13 collection boxes. 13 boxes. And it said they were the trumpet boxes. They were like... Trumpets, because there would be a shofar mouth. Now, how many of you remember when my father used to blow the shofar for Sunday school to start on, on the morning? Some of you do that. You remember a shofar? I intended to bring it out of my office this morning and show you I missed it. But you just imagine in your minds, there's a shofar like a trumpet, and people would throw money in to one of these 13 boxes, and they were labeled for different things. Now this is not that different from what we have here. We have a box in the back for offerings that support the life and ministry of the local church. And then we have a box next to that, and it says alms on it. That is money that we have in a special account that is used for needs of the people in our congregation or in our city. And our deacons use that to give generously to people in our church body or to poor who come in from the streets around us, and they intend to use that wisely to support the needs of those personal financial needs. And you can just imagine that these 13 were very similar. You had this for this purpose, and this box for this purpose, and this box for this purpose, and this box for another. Are you coming into the picture now? Jesus is sitting down in this court of the women, Sitting back in a chair, he's had a very busy day, uh, probably on a bench of some kind, and he's just watching. He's just watching people. You say, well, why why would this have been relevant? Well, you need to imagine what was happening in Jerusalem at this time. One commentator tells us, I think probably a a reasonable estimate, the population of Jerusalem at this time probably would have been around 50,000 people. It's just, a, it's just a rough estimate, 50,000 people for the city of Jerusalem. Do you know how many people would come into Jerusalem for Passover season from all over the world? This one commentator estimated that up to 200,000 pilgrims would enter Jerusalem. You can imagine a city of 50,000 now being crammed with 200,000 more by the way, did anyone hear about a couple concerts that were apparently a big deal in Minneapolis this weekend? Any Anyone hear about that? Over 100,000 people packed US Bank Stadium on, on across two different nights to see Taylor Swift perform. Uh, I was downtown on Friday, and I was waiting for my bus, and I saw three people, I think, walking by, and they were speaking a different language. And, they were clearly trying to figure out their way around. I thought, man, I wonder if they're here for that. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You can imagine, we know in, for Minneapolis in big events, when the city just overflows with people like the Super Bowl or the Final Four or a Taylor Swift concert. Think about the number of people that are there. And what do people like to do when a bunch of people are around? Have you ever heard of people watching? <laughs> people watching? How many of you have ever gone to a mall just to watch the people that wander around the mall? Tabitha and I were in Philadelphia recently, and after church there, we went and sat um, on this outdoor, got just lunch on this outdoor patio, and you should have seen the people streaming back and forth outside Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. The people watching was amazing. And here Jesus is just people watching. That's what he's doing. He's sitting down on the bench, he's just watching. And he probably wasn't the only one. Because you can imagine the spectacle. Rich people were coming in, they were out-of-towners. There are people, you, we remember in the book of Acts, the, the Ethiopian eunuch who came in, he was coming to Jerusalem for worship. You can imagine these wealthy people from all over the world in Passover season, and they're pulling out big sacks of money, and they're pouring it into the trumpet box. And what sound do you think that's making? Clunk, 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 and you're just sitting there and you're just watching. Wow, look at, look at how much he gave. Wow, she gave a lot. And as Jesus sits there and watches, he sees, notice what it says, and many that were rich cast in much. How much? He doesn't tell us other than it it was a lot. And then notice, and there came a certain poor widow. Now just pause there for a minute. That word poor, it's the word in the Greek that literally has the idea of cringing cowering. You know what the picture is? The picture is of someone who is poor enough to be a beggar. Like someone with their hand out and kind of cringing. Cringing poor. This woman is nearly destitute. And she threw in two mites which make a farthing. Have any of you ever carried a mite around in your hand? Have any of you ever carried a farthing? Okay, so we're going to have to step back and figure out what this is, okay? So you understand actually what this is. Again, what I said, this coin was the leptone. It was the smallest coin in circulation, I understand, in Israel at this time. It would be like our penny, the smallest amount that we can carry. And Mark tells us that two of these coins made a farthing. Now, do you know why? Because actually here in, in the Greek, it is what we would say is quadrant, quadrant was a, 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 a coin that the Romans would have known. Remember we talked from the very beginning that Mark was writing this book, this gospel, likely to people in or around Rome. And so he had here a Roman rule of money so that people would say, oh, I get it. Okay, that's like a dime. Two of these equals a dime. Okay, I get it now. Thanks. But you say, well, I don't have any idea what a quadrant is. What, what on earth is that? So, so, so here's the idea. The idea is that this coin would be about 1 64th of a day's wage. The quadrant, the farthing that's described here, about 1 64th of a day's wage, a denarius, which would be an, an ordinary day's wage. You say, okay, well, how am I gonna think about this? Okay, let's break it down. Let's say you make $15 an hour, $15 an hour. At a day's wage, you would be making how much? Eight hours a day? 120 bucks. Okay? Do you know what you'd be looking at just roughly? One of these coins, one of these leptone, would be about a dollar coin. Does that help? You make $120 in a day. If you make $15 an hour and about $1 of, is a $1 coin. So just a good rule of thumb, I'm not telling you the only way to think about it, but just a reasonable rule of thumb is that this widow walked in with $2 coins, two $1 coins, and dropped them in to the offering box. Okay? Does that help clarify here what we're talking about here? And notice something. Jesus called unto him his disciples, verse 43. What an interesting thing. Jesus is watching all the rich people throw in money. He doesn't say anything. But now she throws in the money. He says, hey, guys, gather around. Team meeting. Huddle. And look what he says. Verily I say unto you. Now that's a phrase Jesus loves to give, doesn't he? Verily. It, the, the Greek word is amen. Amen. Truly. Truly, I'm saying to you. He wants to teach them something now. And look at what he says. That this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, the ideas of their surplus, over and above. But she of her want, or of her lack, she of her lack, did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, this woman gave the only two coins she had left. She was a cringing, if you will, again, if just a picture of that Greek word. She was a beggar woman. She had two coins. She walked into the temple, and she dropped them both in, and she left. And Jesus said, she gave everything. Now you say, how did Jesus know? We don't know. It might have been a divine awareness. It might have been from some other context that we're not told. It really doesn't matter. Would we just know that Jesus knew? He knew those were the only two coins that she had. Now, there are two surprises here for me, aren't there? One surprise is that Jesus noticed. The other surprise is that he said she threw in more than everyone else, because as an accounting matter, I can assure you that wasn't true. The rich people were throwing in much. She threw in the equivalent of two $1 coins. But Jesus said she threw in more. And he wanted to make sure his disciples heard. He wanted to teach them something. Verily, truly, I say to you, she cast in more. Okay, so there's the observation. Jesus makes just a simple observation. Secondly, let's move to interpretation. How are we to understand what he's saying here? What does he mean? Let me tell you the common interpretation, the most common interpretation. And you can go to commentaries and you can listen to influential preachers and nearly all of them will approach it in a similar way. Do you know what they say? They say, here's here's what this means. Jesus is commending a light in the darkness. All of these scribes that he's been condemning, that he has been criticizing, that he has been denouncing, they are the ones who walk around rich men full of pride, full of of this, this, this sense of superiority. They're the ones who love long robes, showing off their wealth. They're the ones, like the rich people, dumping in big gifts. And then here, out of this darkness, comes this ray of light. This widow steps in with only two coins left. And she drops them in. And Jesus is praising her. And then do you know what they do? If they're a Baptist preacher, they start lecturing you about giving. That's what they do. Then they turn to you, and they say, Well, how much are you giving, buddy? Let me tell you something. Have you ever given the last dollar that you have? Have you ever given until it really hurts? Well, then you don't know sacrifice, sister. Frankly, we, we, we can I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but that's not too far from the truth. How many times has this passage been preached at the start of a building campaign? How many times has this pre- been preached when the deacon board recognizes that we're, the church is a little under budget this year? We're going to have to catch it up. Widows, are you thrown into the plate? Now, there is some reason to support this interpretation. Jesus said this widow gave more. She gave more than the rich people. Now, is he saying that's a bad thing that she gave more? He doesn't say that. But you know there's something really interesting about this? Do you know that Jesus actually, look at the words, he doesn't praise her. Do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't look at his disciples and say, hey guys, you should go do the exact same thing. You should go give the last two coins that you have generously and then you'll really be blessed. Do you know he doesn't say that? He calls all of the disciples around and he says, Hey, guys, I'm teaching you something. But then all he says is this. She gave more than all those rich people. Why? Because she gave the last two coins she had, while they just gave the extra and above and leftover and surplus that they'll never miss. And that's it. Now, I say that to say not that the traditional interpretation is wrong, but to say that it goes above and beyond what the Bible says. You know, one preacher that I respect a lot, he has this little riff in in one of his sermons on this passage in which he talks about, you know, no one noticed, she had no idea, but really her reward is going to be in heaven one day, or something along those lines. Do you know Jesus never says why she gave this money? Never. He never looks at his disciples and says, you know what, that's real faith there, boys. That's faith. Do you know he never looks at her and says, you know what, disciples? That's really showing sacrificial love. You should do it just like her. He never says that. All he says is, she gave more. So be careful. When you immediately begin going, assuming this was a gift out of faith, a gift out of love, a gift out of devotion to God and sincere worship, you're, you're saying more than the Bible says. Be careful. So you say, well, what's another interpretation of this? Well, look at the context. Will you look with me in verse 40, the verse before Jesus begins commenting or begin the passage in verse 41? Notice what Jesus says of the scribes. Do you see anything having to do with widows? In verse 40? Anyone? Anyone? What does it say about widows? Thank you, Brad. You you know know what Jesus said about these scribes, these religious leaders? They devour widows' houses. And the verse after that, he's going to tell a story about a widow giving the last two coins that she has in her bank account to the temple. Is Jesus criticizing these leaders for devouring another widow's house? Do you know what happens in the very next verse? Look at after this story, chapter 13 and verse 1. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto a master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus is sitting in the temple and here this woman is financing the temple and its ministry and the very next verse Jesus is going to say this temple is going to be cast down so not one stone is lying upon another. In one verse before, the immediate verse before, Jesus is saying these scribes devour widows' houses and in the very next verse after it or the two verses after it Jesus is saying this whole building is going to be knocked down as a sign of God's judgment. Now, that should give us some pause, shouldn't it? That should give us some pause in what we see in the world around us. When televangelists are asking widows to give the very last of their retirement to finance their multi-million dollar jets. When churches across many different ages have used guilt and have used fear and have used anxiety to pad their church budgets and finance their pastor's nest egg? And let me ask you, friends, in those situations, is Jesus pleased by a widow giving her last retirement? Or is he displeased? What do you think? I think Jesus is looking at these televangelists today and saying, you will receive greater condemnation for devouring widows' houses, for your selfishness. You know, friends, I feel very comfortable saying that. And I'm very grateful about the testimony in the life of this church over the years. We have never taken an offering for our own purposes. I receive no fi- a salary from this church. I never have. My father never did. Our needs are met by working with our own hands. I would never want to send a message to this city, to the Phillips neighborhood, one of the most impoverished places in the the state of Minnesota, that we are here to get your last two mites, your last two coins. No, friend. No. We have to grapple with this. Is Jesus condemning as a sign of God's judgment on this temple and its system? Don't forget what happened when Jesus came into the temple in this holy week. What did he say? He drove them out and he said, You've made it a den of thieves. You're robbing people. Could it be that he's saying this now? Because he looks at this humble widow walk out dropping two coins in the offering box, giving the last money that he has, and he looks at these scribes and says, how dare you devour another widow's house? It's possible. And it's sobering. But you know, ultimately, I don't accept either one of these interpretations completely. Do you know why? Because both of them go beyond what the scripture says. Jesus doesn't openly condemn the scribes in this passage. He doesn't openly commend the widow and praise her and say she's an example we all should follow. If only we could give like her. He says neither. So what's the safe thing for us if we're interpreting the Bible? To go no more than what Jesus actually said. What did Jesus actually say? Will you look with me? What did Jesus actually say? He said, this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. What's his point? The proper interpretation, I believe, is simply to look at this. Jesus is saying, she gave more. And if you stop there, you may not be able to preach exactly the sermon you wanted to preach about giving, or about condemning rich televangelists from corrupting people and devouring widows' houses. But you will be able to do this. You'll be able to say, that's what Jesus said. He said, she cast in more. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'll let you be convinced in your own mind. Is he praising her implicitly? Is he condemning the scribes for devouring another widow's house? Let each be convinced in his own mind. I will say what I'm convinced of is what Jesus said. That she cast in more than everyone else, even though it was like only two $1 coins. Now, we'll just note for you, do you know what this all comes down to? Whether you think the temple truly had a value in God's economy at this time. Now, I will tell you in Luke chapter 21, in the parallel passage, Jesus says that she cast into the offerings of God I think by him saying that, he thought that there was still value in what she was doing. She was making an offering to God. So, so I would tend to lean toward that view. But again, whatever you decide there, let's focus for a few minutes on what Jesus actually said, shall we? She gave more. So we've seen an observation. Jesus calls every one of us to look at this story. There is interpretation. She gave more. And then thirdly, there's application. We can only apply once we really properly interpret. I want to suggest to you that there are at least three applications that we can make from the simple idea that this widow gave more. Here's the first question for us. It's an evaluation. An evaluation. To what am I giving? To what am I giving? Now, here's what I draw that from. Jesus doesn't say whether this was a good gift or a tragic gift. He doesn't tell us whether we should do like her or whether we shouldn't do like her. He just says she gave more. Now, why did he say she gave more? Because Jesus is looking at her gift, not in the computation, in the calculation of this gift, in the total amount of the gift. He's looking at the cost, and that's what he says matters. What determines whether your gift is really big or really small? It's not about how much you give. It's what it costs you to give it. Do you get that? Any of you who have been in a relationship know this. When someone gives you a gift that has absolutely no effect on them, you tend not to value it very much. You say, well, you didn't need to put any thought into that. You didn't need to put into any, any, any money into that that you'd ever miss. Frankly, that, that gift doesn't have a lot of value. And yet you also know full well that a, a gift that can have no value monetarily can have immense value to you because of what it means, what it cost them. I'll give you an example. I've got a birthday girl tomorrow. Kate is turning eight. Today is her last day of being seven. And Tabitha would attest to you, Kate is our gift giver. And do you know what she loves doing? She loves drawing these elaborate pictures for us as part of our birthday or Father's Day or Christmas. And she'll do these little projects and draw these colorful things all over the place. And she'll come give them to us just so proud, just so happy that she's able to give us this. Do you know that piece of paper has has zero monetary value to it? She didn't give me much when she gave me that paper. But do you know what? She gave me more than if someone had come and given me a $100 bill. Just pulled it out. Here, Here's a $100 bill. I'll never miss it. Here you go. Do you know why? Because someday, Tabitha and I are going to look back on those and we say, we remember how much that cost her. We remember what this meant to her. She sat there slaving away at this gift. This cost her so much. This is precious to us. That's what Jesus is saying. It, 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 she gave more. Why? Because it cost her more. And these rich people who went in throwing dollar after dollar after dollar, clanking, clanking, clanking of all these coins, people stopping and looking, whoa, he doesn't criticize them for giving a lot. Why would he? Is it a bad thing to give a lot of money if you got a lot of money? Of course it's not. He's not criticizing them. What's he saying? He's saying they're never going to miss it. They're never going to look at their bank balance and say, whoa, where'd that money go for the temple? I needed that. No, Jesus said, just said, she gave more. It cost her more. That's true. So the question for us is, what are we giving to? What are we giving to? What are we giving more to? I remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, friend, if you have the ability to give by what it costs, you better make sure you're giving to the right thing. Because if you're giving to things that are a waste, what is precious to you, you are losing much. You know, I think about this with my time. Time is the most precious resource that you and I have Because it is ultimately the only thing that has a uh, a definitive end. You and I only have so many days left in this earth. You and I have only so many hours, and God knows exactly when, how many hours you have left in this earth. How many minutes, how many seconds. It's a scarce resource. We are paying in our time every moment. What am I giving it to? What am I using that scarce resource with? You know, this phone sometimes convicts me because I get a little notification, weekly screen time. You ever get those? Weekly screen time? And I look at it and I say, ugh, this week I, 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 I spent a valuable amount of time on frankly not a very valuable activity. What are we giving more toward? You know, for some of us, it would be wise to go to our bank accounts and to really just do an honest assessment. What am I really giving my resources toward? Is it toward the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or is it to something else? Now, I'm, I'm pleading with you. I'm not trying to put in, a, in a, for a single minute wrong guilt on you. Do you know what it means to seek first the kingdom of God? Is to take care of your family. And to provide for their needs. Because First Timothy says that if a man doesn't care or provide for his own household, for his own family, he's worse than an infidel and he's denied the faith. I'm not telling you to go take the, the bread that's destined for your children's mouths and come and drop them into this offering place. That, that would not be for the kingdom of God. Take care of your family. Take care of the important things, the important people in your life. But remember above all, is it for the purpose of the kingdom of God? Are we giving costly amounts to him? Let's make sure that what we're giving most to is what, most, what matters most to God. But there's not only an evaluation here, there's an encouragement. There's an encouragement. I love this. Here's what we can take, I think, perfectly well from this passage. It's to be an encouragement for those of you who feel like you don't have a whole lot more than $2, $1 coins. You say, I see people giving big gifts to the church. I see people spending huge resources of time to serve others and minister, and I'm scrambling just to keep my head above water. I don't know whether I'm going to have enough for retirement. I don't know whether I'm going to have enough to get by tomorrow. I don't feel sometimes like I have any money, any time to give. I am completely swamped. Well, friends, think about the encouragement of Jesus. God doesn't look at the total amount that you give. He looks at what it costs. And there may be some of you who have only enough for a small gift. For a small but sacrificial offering. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's your mental bandwidth, whether it's something else, but you'll do it for the sake of God. The encouragement is Jesus sees. Jesus sees every gift that you give. Jesus was the one who said, if you give a cup of cold water to, in the, to, a, to one of my disciples in my name, you won't lose your reward. If he sees you giving out a cup of cold water because you love Jesus, I think he sees you putting a dollar into the offering plate, or you're picking up the phone when you're busy and calling someone who needs encouragement, or spending a little bit of your time to invite someone over as a a, a matter of hospitality for dinner, even, even though it's putting you out. He sees your sacrifice. He sees what it costs you. And he recognizes it. He saw what this woman did. But do you know it's also an encouragement in maybe another way? It's an encouragement in a convicting way for me too. It's to say this. If he noticed that the widow gave more than the rich people, do you know what he's kind of saying to the rich people? Don't take pride in how much you give if it didn't cost you anything. Don't look at how much. If God has blessed you with much, you say, well, did you see how much I gave to the church this year? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you for that. But the question is, what did it it really cost? What did it cost? And for those of you who are here, who God has given you much in earthly resources, your retirement is taken care of, you do not daily wonder about where your resources are coming from. Let me challenge you today. What are you doing that costs you? To give to the kingdom of God. It doesn't even have to be money. It might be time. It might be something else. But let's make sure that we are showing our love and our worship for God by giving what costs us. Not merely by what doesn't. You say, well, what might that mean? It might mean that you're not going to go out for dinner this week. You're going to save what you would have done. And you're going to give it generously to someone else. You're costing yourself something. Sometimes we may need to create that cost, create that sacrifice in ourselves in order to live out a life of love and of faith toward him. Whatever that is, let's make sure that we're walking in that way. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 8 says in a wonderful passage about giving. Here's what Paul says. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to to that a man has and not according to what he has not. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying if if your mind is ready, you're not doing it out of compulsion. You're doing it as a cheerful giver. You're ready to, to give generously. He says, do this. God accepts it by what you have, not by what you don't have. You see that? If you're impoverished today, God is not looking at you and comparing you to what someone who gives, who has a lot to give. He's saying by what you have. That is the measure. That is the value to him. So let's stop comparing ourselves. I gave the most. I can hardly give any. No, that's not how God acts. That's not how God operates. God sees by the cost of what it is to give. One more thing and we'll close. There's not only an evaluation for all of us, not only an encouragement, but thirdly, there's an example. Friends, do you know this was the last week of Jesus's life? This was probably either Tuesday or Wednesday. He died on Friday. Do you think it was on Jesus' mind what he would be doing when he went to Calvary? Jesus paid it all? I wonder if that was in his mind as he saw this widow stepping up with her two last coins, placing them into the offering box. If he said, God, you know, my my father, you know that I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to pay the very greatest cost. You know 2 Corinthians 8 says? We know. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does Philippians 2 say? Being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Do you know what that word literally means in the Greek? He emptied himself. He emptied. What did he empty himself of? He gave all of his glory, his divine Shekinah glory. He gave it all. He gave all of his reputation. He was despised and rejected of men. He gave all of his earthly comfort. He was homeless going around as an itinerant preacher from place to place. He gave all of his social standing. He hung naked, brutalized, beaten, dead on a cross. He gave it all. Why? He gave himself as an offering to God because he loved you, because he loved me. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, above all things, friends, I preached this message this morning not so that you'll walk past those offering boxes in the, in, in, the, in the back and feel a little guilty to put in a little more. That's not why I'm doing this. Above all, I'm asking you this. Do you know the love of Jesus Christ for you? Do you know, have you accepted that he gave it all out of love for you? And therefore he says, accept me. Receive me. Believe on me. Once you know that kind of love, once you know that kind of grace that gave it all, you'll be encouraged and you'll be challenged to to live out the same example of being willing to take steps and gifts that are costly to you out of love for God and others in a way that Jesus will not miss.